Hello and welcome to Shoot the Hostage. I'm Dan. And I'm Sarah. We're a movie show that delves into a different film each week based around a theme. This season the theme is criminals. Like all good podcasts, this show contains explicit language and mature content, as well as major spoilers for the movie we're covering. Michael Mann's Thief. So I would like to talk about it. Yeah, that's what we're here to do. (laughs) 1981, Mm -hmm. as we already said, directed by Michael Mann, starring James Kahn, Jim Belushi, Tuesday Weld. Yep. Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. Who can forget Willie Nelson? I mean me, I forgot. Yeah, Robert Prosky. (laughs) Robert Prosky. It was Robert Prosky's first film. Yep. Film debut. He was 50. And it was also Dennis Farina's first film. Yes. Yeah. Dennis Farina was actually working as a police officer in Chicago mm-hmm. when this film was made. Yeah. 18 years on the force. Wow. Michael Mann brought him in as a consultant and then cast him and we're off to the races. <laughs> you there. Get in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. Do we have a synopsis before we get into the thicker things? Yeah, sure. Frank is an expert professional safecracker specialised in high-profile diamond heists. He plans to use his ill-gotten income to retire from crime and build a nice life for himself, complete with a home, wife and kids. To accelerate the process, he signs on with a top gangster for a big score. What's your relationship with Michael Mann? He's my uncle. Is he? <laughs> <laughs> no. Could have mentioned um, that. We don't have a literal relationship. No, I... I admire him. He seems like he likes to crack the whip behind the camera. Seems like a bit of a control freak. Yeah. 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 Like the, the results, I think, speak for themselves, but he does seem like a bit of a, I hesitate to use the term slave driver, but maybe not the most fun director to be on a set with, but he does get phenomenal performances out of the people in his films. Yeah. I I don't know if I would call myself a Michael fan. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I've seen of his work is pretty outstanding yeah this movie included but i i'm not completely well versed in his back catalogue i feel like you, you maybe have seen more of his films than i have so what was the first michael mann movie you saw the first one i remember seeing was probably collateral mm, okay i didn't see heat until after that i didn't see the keep until after that okay so so like quite a late comer yeah. to his work what about you Heat would have been the first one that i saw mm-hmm. i think around 96 and 97 yeah i remember it coming out but i hadn't seen it until then because i think it was christmas and it was like on television or something okay when did it come out was it 94 95 95 95. it came out in the cinema and as i say i hadn't seen it but one christmas it was just on and it's a long movie as well yeah and so it was just on kind of in the background and even at like 12 13 years old i was really engrossed in it and i and i loved it i think after that i went back to manhunter Oh, man. Yeah. I always forget Manhunter was here. Yep. Of course. Yep. Yeah. You prefer that to Silence of the Lambs, uh, don't you? It's a better movie. No, I'm kidding. I haven't seen Manhunter in a long time. So. <laughs> and then after that, it would have been, I probably went back again, saw Lost Mohicans. Yeah. It's a good film, which is one of those, I always forget that that one's a Michael Mann movie. Yeah. I think I've only seen it once, in yep. fairness. I quite like to revisit that one soon. And then I got to see Arlie after mm-hmm. that, which I loved at the time. I haven't seen it for ages, but I watched it a lot when it came out. Okay. It's a tough movie to watch. It's it's long and 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 
some people say that it drags in parts, but it's it's really well done. Okay. And then obviously Collateral, mm -hmm. Miami Vice. Yeah, I didn't care for Miami Vice, I'll be honest. Yeah. Public Enemies. Haven't which seen I that. Which I like. Uh, Black Hat. Um, haven't seen that Ferrari which is coming out soon which I will be seeing <laughs> and he's now in pre-production on Heat 2 yeah mm. I mean to not too surprising given how many um, like legacy sequels are coming out but yeah. it's a strange one to revisit yes it is and if it was any old Johnny Newcomer studio let's get a Heat 2 yeah. done and they just bash it together I would, I'd probably have be, I don't want to say I'd have a problem with it because anything can be good and I'll watch mm -hmm. anything. But it's more likely to be good because it's, it's him. It, it's, well, it's going to be well made as a yeah. minimum. Like it's going to be a well made film. And I'm really interested to see what he does with it because I do know that he wrote the novel first, which came out, I think, a couple of years ago, last year, the year before, something like that. Okay. And is it going to be like a direct adaptation of that? I believe so. Okay. Uh, and I've heard him on. A podcast. I think it was Marin. That I listened. Uh, I listened to it ages ago when it came out, and I re-listened to it. I don't know what it would be considered a spoiler, but it's essentially going to start as soon as the first movie finishes. So you'll see the Val Kilmer character and how he gets out, but then it's going to go back. Okay, I believe into the eighties and and swap between the eighties and the early two thousands as a time period. So so they're gonna wait. There's going to be a whole new cast then. So he's recut. Essentially, obviously, you've got. Um, I mean, obviously, spoilers for Heat, but not everybody makes it out of that alive. So. No. <laughs> no. So Adam Driver has been cast as Neil McCauley, uh, okay. Robert De Niro's character. Interesting. Al Pacino. Yeah. I don't know. He's not listed in the cast, but I guess he could. He could probably play the the 2000s one. He's like a hundred. I know. I know. Maybe <laughs> you could get away with it. Maybe you couldn't. But um, I bet for, for. I think it's probably going to be a complete recast. Okay. I think they would have to. I think that's probably the way to. I do think it. that's the smart move. Yeah. As weird as it'll be. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of of Michael Mann, and I, I love the way you he are makes a his Michael movie. Fan. And I've been down a Michael Mann hole this week. <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a fan of his movies. I'm a fan of the way that. He just is relentless with every detail. Yeah. And you yeah. can see that and feel it and hear it. And I really admire that. And I really think it's a, a brilliant way to make movies. What were you aware of in terms of this film? Because this is this was a second watch for both of us, but I believe last year was the first watch for both of us. Yeah. And that's because you blind bought the Blu-ray. What did you know about this film? What made you buy it? Well, I listened to, again, Mark Maron. Right. Okay. And he was talking to... I think, I think it was the Michael Mann interview. It could have been a James Caan one, but I think it was a Michael Mann one. And, and Maren was sort of saying, you know, Thief is a brilliant movie. I'm like, what's this Thief? I've not heard of this. I obviously looked up Michael Mann on Letterboxd and that was his first theatrical feature. Which so, is insane. Yeah. And, and there was a nice, shiny, brand new Arrow release. So I procured that, watched it, and it was really good. Really enjoyed it. It floored me. Yeah, but I wasn't, I, I didn't really know anything about it. Mm-hmm. Which it's, is curious. It's weird for people who are so, like the both of us are so entrenched in cinema and we watch at least a movie a day. Yeah. It's unusual that there's a film that neither of us had heard of us yeah, or like had been on our radar, radar in some capacity. It's unusual for yeah. us, but it does still happen, which is great. I really yeah. enjoy those those I, moments when you find and come across a hidden gem. I'm never happier than when I can find an older film that I haven't seen yeah. before and that turns out to be incredible. Yeah, it's such a good feeling, and that that's what happened here. Yeah. I, I mean, 
up front at the top of the show, I'm going to say, I think this is an incredible film. The fact that this was his second feature, mm. the first one was what, The Jericho Mile? And that yes, was for TV? which was made for TV. It yeah. did get a theatrical release later. Okay. I believe in Europe anyway. Interesting. But this is the first one that he made with the intention of it being a release theatrically. And it is insane. Like the, the craft that's gone into it from the opening shot right through to the to the rolling of the credits is is just a, a masterclass. I would go as far as to say most directors don't make a film this good in their entire career. Yeah. So the fact that this was number two straight out of the gate you could retire on this yeah and still have secured yourself a decent legacy in the mm. industry i think yeah uve bowl is, is never <laughs> going to make a movie like this no he won't make one good film no. in his career um don't challenge me to a boxing match please uve i would you could lose take him. you could take no i'm northern but i'm not that hard <laughs> so do we want to start from the top from the top, what, yeah. in terms of plot, you mean? In terms of the story, yeah. We've discussed yeah. the synopsis. We kind of get thrown straight into the thick of things, don't we? Yeah, but with the very the very first part of the movie, you're just introduced to the characters, it's, Frank. It's nearly wordless. Yeah, Frank, Barry, and the other one that's in the car, <laughs> who doesn't have much Den- to say. Is that Dennis Farina? No. Who's that? Who, what? Dennis Farina is, is one of the heavies, one of Prosky's heavies. Right, okay. But yeah, so the first opening, what, five minutes is yeah. them breaking into a safe mm-hmm. and robbing some diamonds. Mm-hmm. And it's just a good setup for the movie because you see uh, Khan's character being a total professional and they swap the cars and the clothes and you kind of, it lets you know that we're dealing with criminals, but also criminals that cover their tracks. They know what they're doing. They're a professional. I think it's particularly notable for the fact that, as I say, it's it's without dialogue for the most part. And James Kahn is on his own using actual equipment that thieves use to break mm. into vaults. Apparently that was a vault that they bought for 10 grand. Right. So he is actually breaking into that vault for yeah. real. Right. Okay. Um, which is really impressive. And he sells the shit out of it. Mm. I don't know how much prep actually went into that, but I know, as you've said, Michael Mann's kind of a stickler for details. So yeah. I guess he wanted everything to be as realistic as possible. Yes, he did. And he obviously employed, we, we touched on Dennis Farina being a police officer, but then mm-hmm. there are obviously criminals as consultants or ex-criminals rather as consultants <laughs> on the movie. And he's known for really immersing himself mm-hmm. in these worlds while he's preparing for a, for a production. So he would know the saves and kind of locking mechanisms. And he shows you all of that. It, it zooms into the locking mechanism on the saves and things like that. And I you can love see exactly those what's close happening. shots. But you can see it. You, like yeah. when we were talking about very different movie, but Army of the Dead, one <laughs> yeah. of our complaints was that you don't see anything happening. You just see close-ups of people shooting at things, but you don't see the results yeah. of that. I feel like Michael Mann is the complete opposite of that, yeah. whereas you see everything mm-hmm. and, and to, to detail. And it's not... The most impressive thing as well is that it's not boring. Not like even you, in the slightest. It's, it's so satisfying to watch how he unfold, unfolds his shots and shows us mm. what's going on. I think that's a combination of factors. I think it's, as you say, like the close-ups, yeah. the the eye for detail that he has, Khan's performance, which mm. we're going to come back to, yeah. I'm sure, throughout this. Yeah. But also that Tangerine Dream score. Oh, isn't it just... It's like somebody was like, soundtrack my anxiety, but make it synth. Yeah, it's like bathing in synth, isn't it? It's phenomenal. And it's so anxiety provoking. It Mm. makes it so tense. 
those first opening minutes, we don't really know what the stakes are. We don't know the entire scenario yet. We mm. don't know the characters yet. But it's so tense. Mm. Edge of your seat tension and then aside from that some of the opening shots of like the rainy streets and the neon lights and the reflections refractions it's beautiful yeah the way it's shot camera the way he uses because it is a lot of it's at night Mm -hmm. and he's using as you say reflections and and lighting from other sources like neon signage and that sort of thing and i don't know to I've, i've got no idea when it comes to lighting and camera and that sort of stuff but it must be super difficult to to light a nighttime shot in the way that he wants it lit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and, and this, what was the the budget for this? Was five million? I, th- I think. yeah, I read yeah. five point five, and I think 5. it grossed eleven point five. Okay. Yeah, and it's so it wasn't. I don't know if that's a good amount of box office takings in nineteen eighty one. I mean, for million. a film like this to double its budget, yeah, I th- that's not too bad. It probably was okay, but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating going back and watching it now and, and just how was not this not the biggest movie of right? the, like the first five years of the 80s or whatever. It's, oh yeah, because there was Star Wars happening. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, James Khan was offered the role of Han Solo. Actually. Really? Yeah, turned it down. Wow, that would have been different. Yeah, it's it a few that he turned down actually. Maybe we'll talk about it later. Oh yes, please. I'm keen to hear that. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting that we're still seeing the influence yeah. today yeah i mean um as you mentioned as we were watching it people like nicholas winding Refn, but also like gaspar noe owe a lot yeah to the style of this film yeah christopher P- nolan yeah is is quite honest about him just ripping off man and is particularly he? heat yeah particularly okay. heat and especially for the dark knight as well yeah like his influence is all over yeah modern filmmaking it's great to see. It's weird though. Like it's strange to me that it seemingly was so influential, but it doesn't get talked about in the same breath very much. It, yes, yeah, I know what you mean. It seems I'm not going to call it like a forgotten gem or anything, but I would love to get more eyes on this film. I think it's. I think that's often the case, though, isn't it? Like you, you've got your super popular films that are coming out and everyone goes to see, and some some of them are enjoyable and fun. But then you've got your ones that kind of fly under the radar, but mm-hmm. are changing the game. And it's yeah. but it takes a while because maybe they're not super successful, and it takes people to find these, and then they become cult classics. And then twenty years down the line, you're getting a really swanky Arrow Blu-ray release and everyone loves it and everyone agrees that it's a brilliant movie and now is super influential but i feel like with with those sorts of films it takes time for them to enter the i guess kind of so. the language of cinema and to influence things so i would say so the um the swanky arrow release is not a marker for quality i would like to point okay. out <laughs> i do own um a very comprehensive brilliantly put together release of faust love of the damned and that is dreadful okay so <laughs> While they do like to dip their toe into, you know, the the cult classics, yeah. yeah, there is there is a fair amount of shit on their roster okay. too. Fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, so we we start to learn more about Frank as mm. the film goes on, yeah. and again, like we touched on in the show about Hell or High Water, most of the information is passed out through the dialogue. There's yeah. no exposition dumps. I th- I feel like in a lesser film we would kind of we would be told how he met his partners in crime. Mm. Uh, we would find out the the birth of those relationships. We would see him meet Jesse. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't be kind of in the middle of all of these relationships. Mm. And I think that is a marker of how much 
man respects his audience and the intelligence with which he puts into this the scripts that he writes as well yeah there's there's a lot of character stuff going on that is not you're, you're not spoon-fed it like you said in a similar way to hell or high water it comes out through slowly through the dialogue yeah but then also you really do have to pay attention because for instance you mentioned jesse when he first sees her in the um in a restaurant or we first see him seeing her in a restaurant you think mm-hmm. oh he's just seen her for the first time yeah but, she's caught his eye but you figure out you, you hear later on that oh he's seen her before and mm-hmm. like he, you know he used to be married but he says i never tried anything because i'm you know i'm a straight arrow I, I wouldn't do that so it's like oh so he's had a thing for her for a while but you're not told that immediately you've got to just watch it and just just consume it and it's like second third fourth watches is, is when these things really you can enjoy it the first time be immersed yeah. in it and get lost in it but then these types of films just lend themselves to rewatches, and I, I, I prefer that style of filmmaking yeah i mean i think there's a lot to be said for films that you can comfort watch over yeah, and over again course. and you know every beat you know every line but i also love films where you get something different out of it each mm, time yeah. you pick up something new Um, And you're right, that's definitely the case here. And I think you're right in that you absolutely have to give this film your full attention. Yeah, you do, yeah. For several reasons, the script being the main one, but I think it's interesting to me. Right, so before we watched it for the second time Mm. for this show, and you kind of said to me, is this film noir? Yeah. And that's not something I'd ever considered until you said it. And as soon as you said those words, I was like, yeah, of course it is, fuck. Mm. Why didn't I think of that? And I think more than anything, obviously it has quite a like nihilistic, fatalistic viewpoint. It does, it's yeah. quite pessimistic, I suppose. But also the the vernacular that they use, the slang. One that I wrote down specifically is he says, did gags down our merch or something? And like, <laughs> but it's lines like that that you really have to pay attention for because you have to be able to pick up context cues. Yeah to actually understand what they're talking about a yeah. lot of the time. Yeah. I'm glad they went that route because it really does help to sell the characters and this lifestyle that they've yeah. chosen. But you're right, you really do have to pay attention. You do. And it's almost like he's setting up his own world though because like, like those those pieces of dialogue and the way that they're delivered, they, they're kind of repeated as well. Words yeah. like pinch. Yeah. And it, you, they kind of come up uh, over and over again in films like this. Uh, and even films, you know, like Dark Knight, and I mentioned about the Nolan influence and stuff like that, they do that too. Like there'll, there'll be a word that you don't hear very often used in in that context that they're using it in. It's definitely not like um, it's, it's worlds away from a popcorn movie for dummies, you know. Mm. You really do have to pay attention. But yeah. All this happens. We, we also find out that he's a car salesman. Well, it's a front, isn't it? Well... Is it? Yeah, I, I mean, think yes so. and no. Obviously, his his main focus is the thievery. Yeah, but does he own the car lot? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, he owns the car lot. There's a scene where he's walking through the car lot and he's going, you know, Dave put the, yeah. the Buick on the front, and oh, this one needs a wash, and this one needs a roof or whatever. <laughs> I I think he owns it. I think he owns the bar as well. The, I I couldn't figure that out. I couldn't work I out if so. he owned the bar or if that was just kind of where it became like a criminal hangout, like a known spot where people could meet and wouldn't be bothered by cops mm. or something. I wasn't sure. I got the impression that he owned the bar and owned the car lot. Okay. And they're kind of fronts for his business if he's washing money or something. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that the car lot would definitely be a means to kind of legitimize him yeah. in the eyes of 
the government or whatever. Yeah. It wouldn't be a leap to see him in a posh suit driving a flash car. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that, but I mean... Jewel thief versus car salesman. Which one makes him the biggest scumbag? (laughs) (laughs) In terms of the other characters that kind of flesh out this world, how do you feel about them? Because at this point, we've kind of met Jesse, who is his love interest. We've met his co-conspirators. We've met Robert Prosky, who is... Who is Robert Prosky? Is he kind of like some sort of criminal mastermind but he, in the movie yeah like he has a larger operation that yeah, he wants james just, khan to be a part of right yeah he just runs shit in chicago i guess he just wants people to kind of be in debt to him yeah he's just he's just a crime to, lord so he yeah. he just wants to basically control all of the crime that's going on yeah you know not on my turf sort of thing we meet uh willie nelson yeah who was somebody he was a, a fellow inmate while james khan's character was in prison yeah Kind of a father figure, mm. we're led to believe. Yeah, he did 100% his father figure. Despite he says that, yeah. Willie Nelson only being seven years older than James Caan. Mm. <laughs> they are by turns the oldest 41-year-old and 48-year-old I've ever seen. Well, um, James Caan's meant to be 35 in this movie. James Caan is a hard 35 <laughs> in this film. I could, That's wild. I know. That was the only part that kind of made me go, fuck off, no. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess... That sort of makes sense as well because mm. he's portraying this kind of hardened criminal who's been in jail for like what twelve years, eleven years, eleven he years. Said, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's been behind bars for a third of his life. Yeah, he he went into prison for a pretty minor stealing forty dollars. Yeah, yeah, and then ended up serving a much 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 longer sentence for manslaughter. Yeah, because he got in some trouble and was defending himself. But that's yeah. how he's built his identity was in was in prison. It's yeah. How he, learn how to survive but just going back to the characters i think prosky's character is a, is a super interesting one mm. he is the crime lord but at the start of the movie when he's just getting acquainted with with uh, frank i kind of am like oh he seems all right well he seems okay he's uh, he's helping him out like i'm sure he's a nice criminal so when the turn <laughs> comes at the end i'm i am surprised but i think that's just yeah. because he sells it so well prosky i think it's a combination of factors i think he does a great job in the role. Mm. I think you're right. He sells the he sells that aspect of the character. But also, when I think of Robert Prosky, I think of him as like this genial grandpa type, like his role in Gremlins 2. We grew I, up yeah, we grew up seeing him as that character. Didn't yeah. We? Yeah. So it's weird then to go backwards in time and yeah. see him as a criminal well, as a crime lord, crime yeah. boss. I think he was actually the grandfather in The Last Action Hero. Was he? Yeah, the <laughs> okay. projectionist guy that gives him the magic ticket. Right, yeah. He was... You mentioned you mentioned Gremlins too, didn't Gremlins you? Gremlins 2, yeah. I just, I pi- when I picture Robert Prosky, I picture him dressed as Dracula. As a Dracula, From Gremlins yeah. 2. He's also the garage owner in Christine. Shit. Yeah. Oh. He's like, no smoking in here, Arnie. And um, yeah, he's that guy. Oh, yeah. So when did Christine come out? I want to say 82. I was going to say 83. Yeah, you might be right with that. But it was it was very close to this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he's had a pretty broad career. Yeah. Yes. In the 80s and 90s, he he did a quite a wide range of different projects. Man's and he, got range. And he definitely was one of those, it's that guy. Yeah. <laughs> when I was growing up. Yeah, for sure. He was a J.K. Simmons, yeah. Christopher McDonald type. Character-wise, um, what do you think of Jesse? We try to think of her name. I was there was no I wasn't gonna say 
Jesse. I was going to say okay. someone else, but I did want to get to Jesse. So maybe we'll yeah. talk about Jesse and then maybe that other thing. Let's talk about Jesse because she's interesting. Yeah, she's a, she's a good character. She's not, she doesn't have a huge role in it. No. But she is kind of the, the basis for his change initially. And it's interesting, his character arc in this story, which I'm sure we'll get to. But Tuesday World, particularly in that diner scene, is great. They, they're both spectacular yeah. in that diner scene. I think the first time I watched it, I was like, well, his delivery is insane. Mm. It's so strange. And the more I sat with it, the more I, the more it made sense to me, mm. I guess. I did read that James Caan intentionally, um, he wanted Frank to be a very well fleshed out character. So he chose to speak very clearly and very slowly because he saw Frank as somebody who was like, economical with time he didn't want to have to repeat himself yeah. he wanted to make sure he was understood the first time around yeah and i guess maybe i don't know maybe some of the the reason he got into trouble in the first place is misunderstandings so he's trying not to repeat that yeah perhaps yeah no contra is it no contraction or is that the thing when you're having a baby <laughs> contractions are when you're having a baby um i don't know i really like that character choice though in hindsight but it did it did strike me as quite odd. That conversation that they, ha they have, he's yeah. quite big and bold. His performance is very large. Yeah, I think just prior to the diner scene as well, when he's in the car and they're driving and he's just Oh, and he's yelling. Up, yeah, I wear like, $800 suits. Yeah, and he, he fully like manhandles her out of the pub as well, at yeah. which point I started to lose sympathy for well, him a little bit. Well, that's the thing though, isn't it? Like he's not, he's not a nice guy. Mm -mm. He's a, he's an asshole. He's a mass of contradictions. He's but he's that's his survival technique. That's yeah, his coping. Yeah. How he deals with staying alive is to not care about anyone. Yeah, push everyone away. But also, I think a huge part of that is that his formative years were spent in prison. Yeah, like from his early twenties. Yeah, he's been in prison. Yeah. so all of that important kind of maybe academic growth, career growth, socializing. All of that would have been perhaps a little bit stunted and a little yeah. bit off. And, and even before prison, though, there's there's the part in it. We'll talk about the He's child adoption well scene. Don't you worry, we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. But he mentions that he was state raised as well. So yeah. it's, while I. I don't like this guy. Like mm -hmm. he's not someone that I would hang around with and think he's a bit of a bell end. He's not all bad. He's not all bad, but you can see how someone gets to that by finding out more about his past. Yeah. And you just think, yeah, like, you know, it's not my cup of tea, but, you know, he's a product of the system. Yeah. And I think that's the point. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, going back to that diner scene, mm. I think I sort of, <laughs> I took over a little bit. You were talking about Tuesday World, who is also really impressive in in yeah. that scene. The back and forth that they have is really interesting and you learn a lot more about her and like yeah. she's got a bit of a past, but it's kind of vague. It's yeah. none of it's spelled out for you. You kind of have to pick up, as I said, the context cues and fill in the blanks yourself. Yeah, I really enjoy that conversation. And I think I'm a big fan of important, heavy conversations, but also at the same time in between your saying or doing everyday monotonous yeah. things so she says talks about her past and mm. how how dark her past was and then she says can you pass the cream yeah and james khan sort of smiles takes off his coat and then you know gets the cream and you know it turns out it's cottage cheese <laughs> so they get a new one but then he's trying to light a cigarette and that doesn't work and i wonder I just, that wasn't I, planned I, I gathered yeah, yeah but he puts it down like a fucking pro and yeah. just carries on <laughs> and i loved it it was great 
But yeah, that whole dynasty, they really bounce off each other in that scene. Mm -hmm. like, it's really enjoyable. And it, it, it it's quite similar to the dynasty scene in Heat. Yeah, there are there are quite a few yeah. um, similarities between yeah. those two films, actually. Yeah, it's 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 very similar because I think it's the most revealing of those both of those characters. Yeah, one of the most important scenes in both of those movies, and they kind of both in each movie those scenes kind of make the film what it is, in yeah. my opinion. Like they're the pivotal scenes. It's kind of the core, the yeah. heart of the movie. But almost. it's just two people sitting down having a chat. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's so well done. That's how you know the script's banging. Yeah. But also other actors may not have sold it as well. Mm. I did read a little bit about the casting process for Frank because mm. James Caan was not choice number one. There were oh. a number of people considered Ooh, okay. for this role. Despite the fact that he fucking sold the shit out of that performance mm. and Michael Mann was super happy with it and James Caan obviously before his death kind of went on record to say that that diner scene is one of the things he's most proud of is yeah. in his entire career and he had such a good career so that's like really saying something he said that thief is the favorite movie that he's done yeah, yeah. i mean it makes sense it's to me. my favorite james Caan movie oh would i say the same it's between this and misery for me yeah i think misery would probably be number two in terms yeah. of james Caan's performances for me mm -hmm. and then way of the gun it's quite good. Eraser. Who's in that? <laughs> Not a fan of Elf. You can you can leave Elf. Yeah, Elf can no. jump off a cliff. Suck it. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently Jeff Bridges was considered for the role. Mm, okay. He was in the Jericho Mile, wasn't he? I believe so. Yeah, okay. I think in the end they decided he looked a bit too young to play a hardened criminal. Yeah, and a bit a bit too uh, a, a bit too handsome at that age as well at yeah, that point. Probably. Was, but a bit too clean cut. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You need a more ruggedy James Carney type. <laughs> yeah. You need the oldest looking 35 year old <laughs> on the face of planet Earth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they also considered Al Pacino. Yeah, okay. Which would have worked, but I'm glad they went with Khan. Yes. He must have been keen to work with Al Pacino for a while from the sounds of things. Yeah, well Pacino did a lot of a lot of good work in the in the series. He 70s, did, yeah. You know, so yeah. I, I can see why. Um but yeah, the two other people who were considered for Frank are kind of slightly more outliers <laughs> to my <sighs> mind. Um Roy Scheider. I can see that. Can actually. you? Yeah. I don't know if I can. Mm. And I loved Roy Scheider. I I'm like one of the few people on left on the face of this earth who loved sequest dsp <laughs> yeah. and i will quite proudly state that no. i still enjoy it um but yeah i struggle to see him in that role i can can't see it can't yeah. <laughs> um and the other one which is the most out there is gene hackman yeah, again, I can see that. Can you? Do you think that's out there? I do. I think that's well within his, like, you think about French Connection, those sorts of films. I don't, I guess. Lex Luthor. <laughs> I guess maybe I'm more familiar with the latter half of his career, so I see him as this, like, cantankerous old dude. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Yeah. But I no. guess, like, yeah, the conversation stuff yeah, like no, that. I, I, buy, I buy those two. Do you? But, you know, James Carr was brilliant, so I wouldn't want to swap him out for anybody. I think because he nailed the role so much, I just really struggle to imagine anyone else yeah. doing it. Any, any, like all of the people that we've talked about are excellent actors. Don't get me wrong, but Khan was the one. He was the right choice. Yeah, he was the one. Um, <laughs> Willie Nelson. Curious 
curious casting. Did he do much acting back I've then? I've no idea. I've, I don't think I've ever seen him in another movie. I have, but only playing himself. Yeah, okay. Um, Maybe there's like a stoner comedy or something. <laughs> I, I've been aware of Willie Nelson most of my life because my dad's a huge country music fan. Yeah. So I was aware of him as this like perpetually young stoner dude who yeah. was this revered musician. Yeah. Um, so seeing him in this role was kind of odd. It was it was odd, and he's not in it an awful lot. And I no. thought I thought he was um, surprisingly good in the scenes that he had. However, I don't I don't entirely buy it. It's probably my one criticism stroke. I didn't love it. Okay. I didn't buy that his character would have survived in prison all that time. He seemed like a very sensitive guy. The way he was just they're kind of, sometimes the most terrifying though are they yeah in like in my experience okay people who remain calm and are quiet and unassuming they can be like the biggest wild cards oh fair enough maybe (laughs) maybe it's just me not knowing very many psychopaths (laughs) but um yeah just the way his eyes were kind of darting around and it was just like had a very soft smile and i just thought oh he seems a i don't know i don't really buy that relationship but you know that's just me but then You've you only really saw him interact with James Khan, who was his kind of stand-in son yeah, figure. Yeah, true. So he's going to be a little bit true gentler. Yeah, you with don't, someone who he cares about than right. with the average person. Yeah, you don't see him interact with any other people, do you? No. In fact, I think the only other scene he's in is when he's dying in hospital. Yeah, which yeah, is I kind believe of so. Heartbreaking because he's in in he's in prison. He, he wants to get out because he's got heart problems and he wants to get out before he dies. Because that's the big thing. You can't die in prison. Yeah. It's fine. Die outside. That's just part of life. That's fine. But don't die in prison. Um, so so uh, Frank bribes a lawyer to in turn bribe a judge. <laughs> yeah. Which is another one of those scenes that if you're not paying attention yeah. to, you won't. You, you If you're not paying attention to, to this movie or any Michael Mann movie, <laughs> and I think I heard this on Blank Check Podcast as well, and David said this. He said that if you're kind of half watching it, if you're on your phone doing something and you look up at this movie and you catch most of it, but not all of it, you're just going to go, oh, it was just a guy who robbed yeah. the place and then just had to rob stuff and then got all the bad guys. Like nothing really happened. You've got to really watch it. Yeah, for it to be a rewarding experience. Yeah, and, definitely. And see all of these kind of understated, not hidden, but you really have to be looking for it. And that's one of those scenes where I don't think I noticed it the first time. No, I was about to say the same thing. I don't think I picked up on it either. You see that the judge goes, well, I'm not sure about letting out Willie Nelson. And he puts eight fingers on his face like well, that. So what happens is, yeah, yeah the judge okay. puts eight fingers on his face. Then the lawyer puts four fingers four. on his face. And then the judge puts six. Yeah. And then the lawyer mirrors the six, six yeah. as if to like accept his counter yeah, offer of six thousand dollars. And he's like, "Oh, okay, then." Like, can they agree on the six? And then yeah. they get outside to the elevator, and, and James Khan gives the lawyer a, 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 an envelope full of ten grand. Yeah, and the lawyer's like, "Wait, I can keep four grand for myself." <laughs> yeah, no, that's so subtle. You, you, yeah. You're not picking that stuff up, stuff up if you're not watching it properly. Mm-hmm. And you have to think about it to actually understand yeah. it as well. Yeah, it's not like I'm. Face value is just like, what the fuck are they doing? Yeah. Which is what makes it so rewarding. I I also would like to make a quick mention of uh, Frank's hobby. 
safe cracking? Um, no, safe cracking, I think, is his main focus, I would say. Procuring he's also children? Scrapbooking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> his, his cute little collage yeah, that he that, made in yeah, prison. Yeah, he's got that little collage, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Which I think... The first time I watched it, I, it struck me as really odd that this 35-year-old pulled out a crayon drawing. Yeah, he's, he's cut out photos and he's made this collage and it seems really out of place. Mm. On second watch, I think it really helped to hammer home just how stunted he is emotionally. He, obviously, he talks about having been married before. He talks about his past in terms of crime, prison, all of that sort of stuff. Um, his his business businesses maybe being fronts. Mm. But I think it's those little things that are far more telling about his character. Yeah. And I think it really sort of hammers home why he appears so desperate to meet someone and to have a kid mm. and have this white picket fence, 2.4 children, mm. family, American dream life. Yeah. But I th I don't think that's necessarily coming from a, a genuine place. No. I don't think that's necessarily like something that's driving him. I think it's... He's been told, mm. society's told him that's what he should have by that age. Yeah. So he's just desperately trying to make this collage a reality. I think, yeah, I agree with you on that. He's probably had this idea in his head for a long time. He's got a, an X amount of money and do X amount of scores to get the life that he wants. And kind of just on the cusp of him getting what he wants. I, I think that's interesting because his character arc is, is, you don't see it very often. His character arc is basically... I was right in the beginning. Mm. I was alone and I didn't care about anyone and I survived and I was doing great. And then he meets someone, which is part of his plan, mm -hmm. and he's starting to get the house and the money and the family. They try to adopt yeah, a child. And they do adopt well, a child. they buy a child. They <laughs> a child, yeah. Adopt is generous. Yeah. But when he is on the cusp of achieving all of that, I think that he, and then at the same time, he's also losing a grip on his uh his work like the, he's exposed now yeah I, I don't i don't really think we ever get to know who frank is i'm not sure frank knows who frank is he's almost right. just like a cipher who's had these accumulative yeah. life experiences but is trying to be something that he's not yeah i think that's exactly right and, and i think the most telling moment is is that the, there's a couple of them at the end of the movie one where he kind of looks at the inner mirror and i feel like he's seen himself mm. truly for the first time for what he is and not what he thinks he should be yeah and also you know the car lot when he's set fire to the car lot he's literally burning his life down in the, in the bar he, he screws up the collage and throws it out the window because mm -hmm. i think he knows that it's bullshit. It's bullshit. That's yeah. not the life that he wants. And actually, that uh, trying to achieve that life has been his downfall in many ways. Yeah. And the only way to correct things mm -hmm. is just to go nuts and basically kill everybody. Yeah, go full scorched earth. Yeah, and, and it's but it's interesting because you can't, he sends away Jesse at the end of the movie. He sends her off, and mm -hmm. it's like you know you need to give. You know, you need to. I want you to be alive. Basically, you're you're in danger. Go, but it's that's not really the reason, is it? Like on face value, you think he's trying to protect her, and then after he's done his thing, maybe he goes to meet her. But then the the more I think about it, and having watched it a second, and I watched it heart another half a time as well. Yeah, I think he's just done with that. I think he's just he just wants to go back to his old life. Yeah, I I agree. With most of that, yeah. I think the the way in which he 
sends Jesse and the child away. Mm. As you say, initially it's just like, oh, he's trying to protect them. He wants them to stay alive. But he's so cold yeah. when he does it. There's not an ounce of emotion there no. other than maybe a hint of anger or like he's lost his patience. Yeah. And you could read that like, oh, he thinks that he's going to die. Yeah. So like there's he, a sense of urgency and he just wants them to be yeah, safe. Yeah. He doesn't think he's going to make make it through this. So mm -hmm. he just needs to get rid of her. No talk about women meeting up. Mm -hmm. But he must think that, oh, maybe I'll get away with this. So, and he doesn't really give, yeah. have a plan B for them meeting up in the future, which you, you would have if he really wanted that life. Yeah. No, he just, that's it. That's yeah. that's him drawing a line under his attempt at a normal life. Yeah. Definitely. So he's so he's got a, a baby and then given her, <laughs> just being like, fuck off, you've got to look after that kid now. <laughs> yeah. What a bastard. Well, it's a weird subplot, isn't it? Because we learn during the diner scene that Jessie can't have children of her That's own. That's right. We don't get to find out the reasons, but it's sort of this layer of mm. tragedy that's kind of mm. added to her character. They attempt to adopt a child through the conventional channels, yeah. and that does not go well, but is like you said earlier, really revealing about both of their characters. She has her own checkered past. Mm. She's got a strange history, but she's far more adept at dealing with people yeah. on she, a normal plane. She knows how to live in the real world. Yeah. yeah. How to Whereas, toe the line and be respectful. And he's yeah. just completely lost. He hasn't got a clue. He try, He tries to bribe the child adoption worker by giving her a, a gold ring. Yeah. <laughs> so like, would, that, would that get me a child? Yeah. Yeah, he's just not in touch with reality at all. And as I said earlier, like that's when you find out that he was brought up by the state. Yeah. And that's when you think, oh, you know, he was so starting he's to make state sense raised, now. then prisoned, then he gets out. Thief. He is an asshole, but you know, I know why. Yeah, he's been and, institutionalized for half of his life. So. Yeah. And, and in that scene is is probably was my least favorite bit of dialogue because of some of the words that he uses. Well, I wanted to talk about that. Okay. I'm not going to ask how you feel about it because that much is obvious. He uses some really language, yeah. off-color language. He, I think he stops short at slurs, but he may as well have said that um, because yeah. he's talking about, well, give us one of the less desirable children then yeah. and kind of uses, you know, words that we know not to. It's, it's curious because... We're not really supposed to like Frank. He's not a likable person. I He has some of my sympathy, but that was really shocking through a modern day lens. It was really yeah, shocking to hear. It, I mean, you got to remember, it was made 40 years ago. I, well, this we is, do bear this in mind when we're watching yeah, it. Yeah, this is what you I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. and uh, Listen, the movie, I think, is a masterpiece. I think it's a genuine cinematic classic. Mm -hmm. And... That piece of dialogue wouldn't get written today. And, well, I hope not. And it shouldn't. However, it it is interesting because it puts you firstly in that time period. There was yeah. a lot of that stuff going around. Oh yeah, it was and, and, there's, and there still is. Um, but also he's a bad guy. Also yeah. he's been in homes when he was a kid. He's been in prisons. He's mm -hmm. been around this language. He's been around way worse language than this. Mm -hmm. So by comparison to, to his peers... He's probably one of the better ones. And I get that from everything we've seen and heard about his character. So while I, I don't like that, I don't care for that kind of vernacular, 
it is fitting within the time period and serves to show us a bit more about who he is. It's weird, isn't it? Because it's not... I don't think the character is racist. No, I don't think so either. Because it seems to be <laughs> like Frank's own very odd brand of well-meaning, almost. Yeah. Because yeah. If, he, if he was truly racist, he wouldn't say, well, we'll take yeah. a non-white baby and we'll look after it and we'll love it. Yeah. I, I, I do feel like the dialogue is, as you say, a product of its time. Yeah. And while we shouldn't necessarily overlook it and it's important to mention it, it's a little bit more, I mean, it, look, but it's, I'm, it's, I'm it's, white. It's not my thing to forgive. But it's, it's, a, it's a character choice, isn't it? He, he's telling you who he is. With those bit, bits of dialogue. Yeah. And also like a lot of horror movies that I love get called misogynist and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I think it's really important to recognize the distinction between a, fi a film that features a misogynist character and a film that is misogynist in its nature. Yeah, Because those two things are very, very different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's easier to overlook because of those reasons. Yeah. What about the last 40 minutes or so of the movie? What do you think of... Because you had the initial heist in the beginning, mm -hmm. and then you have the, like the middle section of the film yep. where he loses his original heist, and he has to get more heist to catch up with the heist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he does more heist. <laughs> yeah. With Pro Robert Prosky, but Prosky has he's now working for him. Prosky yep. said, you know, he's given him the the time and he's the place. made him false promises as well about he's just got to do this one big job. Yeah. And yeah. then he'll be released from all expectations. Yeah, you're going to earn 750000 and then that's his last score, mm -hmm. essentially. But he tells him to figure out how to break in with the alarm and the safe. That's the middle section of the movie is them trying to work out how to do that. And, and also cut between things like the adoption and dinosaurs scenes that we've been talking about earlier. And the police. I think that's really and important And the police, yeah, we've not even well. touched on the police, have we? No. So one of the, the, the main guy... I want to say Detective Yurizzi. He was played by one of the main technical consultants on the film and he was a former jewel thief. Yeah. And the main heist was based on something that he actually masterminded. Right. And I was so curious about this because how do they... How? How? How, how what? Well, how is that man not in jail? <laughs> well, maybe, uh, maybe he did his time already. No, but I found out and it's because he agreed to come on as a consultant mm. and to be open about it all because his crimes were beyond the statute of limita limitations. Right. So he could technically no longer be prosecuted. Right. Okay. That's crazy. But it shows, again, the depths to which Michael Mann wanted realism. Yeah. Well, like I said, he just immerses himself in this world and he casts these people. And yeah, like you said, he's done a uh, role reversal, role swap yeah, as well. Dennis he's made Farina Dennis Farina a the... criminal. Yep. <laughs> and that dude as, as the cop. Yeah. It's curious why you would do it that way around as well. But interesting as well because- It works. And particularly with, you know, going back to Heat again, I'm going to keep bringing up heat because it's another michael mann movie but it has a lot of in common with this movie and mm -hmm. shares a lot of dna like you got the two leads and they're, they're kind of two sides of the same coin yeah you know, you've got the criminal yeah. and the cop but well, they could quite easily swap roles and they're both professionals and they're good at their jobs and that's why they do what they do because that's, that's all kind they of, know how to do between season one and two that's a theme that i'm seeing more and more yeah these these cop movies and movies about criminals have so much in, in common. common yeah bringing up heat again there is a point at which the detectives have planted a tracker on Frank's car, yeah. but Frank figures it out because obviously their home was bugged as well. Mm. So he became inherently suspicious. Yeah. 
but he ditches the tracker on a bus that's going yeah. to Iowa, I want to say. Right. And that's very similar to something that happens in Heat. So he does, there are definite overlaps yeah, between definitely. the two. But yeah, I think it's just interesting that he would swap over the the cop and the criminal characters because they're so kind of entwined in their, yeah. in their nature. So he probably just wanted to get a slightly different take on something that he was looking for. You know, it's curious and interesting. I like it. I really, really, really enjoy the big heist scene. Mm. Yeah, well, going back to the last 40 minutes or mm-hmm. so, it is the heist, isn't it? You've got, what, a 10, 15-minute uh, scene? It's so cool. It is very cool. <laughs> I don't think this film in any way, shape, or form glorifies a criminal lifestyle, but they do make stealing diamonds look cool as fuck. <laughs> I mean, all I wanted to do after having watched this movie for a second time was go and play GTA. Oh, right. I thought you were going to say go and buy a blowtorch. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, so he's been figuring out how to get into the safe. He's got a metal guy that's built him a tool. Yeah, there, there's that conversation actually, again, that uses loads of slang that I was mm. unfamiliar with. And they're kind of talking about the breakdown of the metals that are in the safe they need to mm. get in. And, oh, we're going to have to create a whole new tool yeah, because some of them are soft metals, some of them are hard metals. But they don't outright say any of this stuff. It's all very technical language. But again, you have to really work to figure out what they're saying and yeah. what it all means. Yeah, And apparently that was intentional because they, Michael Mann decided that it just they just needed to sell it it almost didn't matter if the audience understood yeah they don't need to know the science behind it it just needs to sound real yeah and i think they achieved that really yeah. well yeah definitely but so he's built that big old rod for them to it's the hot rod right it's a hot rod yeah, i can't I'd remember what the rod. actual tool is called i did look that up it's a big old fire it's a, stick. some kind of a it's some a something lance i know that much james lance no <laughs> <laughs> it was not the actor from Teachers. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that that whole last 40 minutes, you've got the like a 10-minute sequence of just a Tangerine Dream music playing oh. over them breaking into the vault. Again, so good, so the, tense. Getting through the roof and finding the, the wires mm-hmm. and then using the radio to send a code over the radio and then ultimately breaking into the safe with the big, um, James Lance <laughs> and then you've got two people uh, as well with uh, with fire extinguishers so if there's yeah. any, if any naked flames and something catches there they, they can they can put the fire out but that's like a, like I say like a 10-15 minute sequence and towards the end of the movie and it's just it's so well done it's, it's it maybe might be my favourite heist scene from any movie from any movie wow. I can't think of yeah. one that tops it it's certainly not Army of the Dead no <laughs> Definitely not. No. Definitely not. Or Army of Thieves, for that matter. Mm. Um, yeah, I think one of my favourite stills from this film is just when he's like sitting back. Mm. Like he's done his part now. Yeah. And he kind of sits back in the chair and just watches it on fire. I think maybe he has a cigarette. I don't know. I might have wreck on that in my memory. Yeah. Just for added cool. Um, but it just looks incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's super well done. And it's what everything in the movie has been leading up to. Yeah. And he does that. But then you look at the, I mean, I'm not looking at the clock because I'm just immersed <laughs> in this movie, but let's say that I looked at the clock. There's still 20 minutes of the movie to go and you think, mm. what's, what's going to go on here? <laughs> and then that's obviously where he gets screwed over by Leo. And Leo's well, kind of like, oh, you're not giving you your 750 grand. How much do you give him? Like 20 grand or something. Well, we, we have that brief moment after the heist yeah. where we just have like, three minutes of reprieve. Oh, at the beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's it. In 
any other movie, that's where it would have ended. He's yeah. achieved the American dream. He can retire now. Everything's peachy. He's got the most dense chest hair I've yeah, ever seen on chest. a human. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> everything's peachy. Yeah. But as you say, we've still got 20 minutes to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So clearly things are going to go south. And they do because Prosky is trying to, or Leo is, is trying to screw over Frank, basically, and not give him his money. I guess he still wants him to carry on working for him. And Frank, he wants yeah. Frank to still be earning money for him and for him to control him. Mm-hmm. And that's when he really turns. And I, I think that's 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 one of the reasons why I really enjoyed Leo uh, Prosky's performance, particularly on Second Watch, because at the beginning I was... I quite liked him. Yeah, he this. seems pretty genial. Obviously not the best character, but we're watching a movie <laughs> yeah. about criminals here. <laughs> but then when he turns at the end, I'm like, oh, you're a nasty bastard. Like he, he properly turns. He's like, no, I'll kill your family. I'll kill your kids. You all belong to me. Yeah. And that's but, the end of it. But even like the delivery of that is not worlds away from his performance throughout the rest no. of the movie. It's just a very subtle change. Yes. And it's brilliantly done. S- subtle, but big and yeah. effective. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, no. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. But at that point, you kind of realize, oh, shit, everything's going to fall apart. Mm. And as we've said, Frank is not an honorable man, but I did feel bad for him in that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, like I said, I don't like the guy, but you are still rooting for him. He's, yeah, he's, it's weird. You're rooting for him to survive the whole thing. He's he's a very strange anti-hero. Yeah. I don't quite know what I want the resolution of the film to be, but I don't want him to die. No. I know that. Yeah. I want him to make it out of this alive. He's out of all of the criminal characters. He's probably the best one. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even James Belushi, we haven't really spoke about James Belushi, but he's not in it that much, is he? This was he's also not. his first film, I it think. It was, yeah, it was. Um, Did you notice how shiny his jacket was? <laughs> I didn't, no. I didn't. I I was looking for a scorpion, but there wasn't one on it. <laughs> well, Nicholas Winding Refn, we've already mentioned, he definitely yeah. took some stuff from this film, didn't definitely, he? Definitely, particularly for, for Dry, it's just <laughs> yeah. insane. Down to the poster. Yeah, uh, but I feel like the trope of cool jackets in movies was probably, it probably came from Michael Mann in Thief, because Khan wears a lot of cool jackets in this. I, I, there's a point at which he wears this grey leather jacket, yeah. <laughs> it's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. I quite liked it. I hated it. It's something my dad would wear. Oh no, I've got one on the way. <laughs> no. Every parcel coming up. <laughs> So I, I will not, not be it. signing for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I love that switch when you realize everything's gone to hell in mm. a handbasket. He packs off Jesse and the kid. Mm. He's kind of, I, he's he never loses his cool. He always seems like he's in control, even yeah. when he's in kind of meltdown mode. And he starts, as I said, like the, the soundtrack goes up a little notch. Mm. And like he scrunches up the collage and it signals him going full scorched earth, mm. quite literally, mm. and that he um, sets fire to the bar, he sets fire to the car lot, both of which looked incredible. Yeah. Apparently course, yeah. they they set fire to the car lot at 4 a.m. Right. in the morning yeah. because they wanted a quiet set, but it still drew a crowd of about 2,000 people. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. At 4 a.m. Yeah, I suppose it would do if there was a car lot on fire outside. You'd yeah. Be like, oh, that fire? <laughs> And also the the house that they blew up, mm. there was almost like a fascia yeah. around a real house and they wanted to blow that up while leaving the house intact. Yeah. It did not work. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and I did read that the, the house 
it broke the foundations. The yeah. house was almost irreparably damaged and it was eventually bulldozed and they built they built three more houses on the lot where it had been. Blimey. Okay. <laughs> well, I hope that whoever was living there was handsomely compensated. They were put up in a hotel in the short term. I know oh, that much. I hope it was a really nice hotel. <laughs> yeah, five star. Nothing no one's less. home should be blown up for the sake of a, a movie. No, no. So I really hope that they, I hope they made something out of it. Yeah, me too. I hope they found the diamonds. <laughs> We are, of course, assuming that they were real. Mm. They probably were, no, Michael Mann. He probably yeah. did a real bank heist. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably real, real. Yeah, oh, God. <laughs> the whole movie is probably more of a documentary. Just filmed James Caan breaking into Nat West or something. <laughs> I would watch the hell out of that. And so would I. <laughs> um, so, I mean, we've we've got to talk about the ending, the finale, the shootout. Yeah, because yeah, he's obviously pissed off that, that Leo is is trying to control him and keep his money. My money's in your pocket. Mm-hmm. So he's like, fuck this. Jesse, you're taking the kid. You can fuck off. And, he, <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to go, go and burn my whole life down, like you said. Um, tall up, go back, find Leo. And just he wants to just take everyone out. I guess he's- Yeah. Oh, his intentions are very clear. He, he wants everyone involved. Gone. Yeah. Yeah, because Barry's been killed, Jim mm-hmm. Belushi, Belushi's character, so he hasn't got those quite ties a, anymore. Quite a violent death a as very well. Very violent death. And he, I think he knows that the only way he's getting out of this situation and back to some sort of life that he has control over is mm-hmm. by taking everybody out. He knows that yeah. if he continues working for Leo, he's in his pocket for the rest of his life. Yeah. So his only way out is to, and as he has learned throughout his life and we find out throughout the film, is to fight and go hard mm-hmm. and, and just be really super aggressive because then maybe you survive. That's how yeah. he's learned how to survive. He, the prison scene it tells us about in the diner is is pretty much the same thing. He attacked someone with with the the wrench or bar or whatever it was, and those actions led to him staying alive in prison. And yeah. him going super big and violent here leads him to stay in, but to, to stay yeah. alive at the end of the movie. His attitude is clearly, well, it's me or you, and it's not yeah. going to be me. Yeah, and he goes for it. And for some reason, um, the two gangsters are just hanging around reading a newspaper and, <laughs> and drinking milk. Well, they've got to have some downtime. Yeah. Don't begrudge uh, an aging crime lord his milk and cookies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, th- I do, I mean, I don't rate Leo's security system very much. <laughs> Considering he's a crime boss, Lord knows how much money he's got in that house. True. Or evidence. Like, well, I maybe I would have a bit more security. I mean, I'd have a moat and fill it with serpents and, <laughs> and tripwire bombs. And, you would home alone the shit out of yeah, your house. Yeah, I'd have all of the traps that are in the army, outside the army of the dead safe. I'd have around <laughs> yeah. my house if I was Robert Prosky playing Leo. Well, maybe that's just an indication of how arrogant he is. Yeah, that's true. And untouchable he yeah, feels. Yeah, he really thought he was untouchable. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah, that is a good point, actually. But he just goes in the house and slowly... Works. And it's interesting because he's slow while he's slowly working his way through the house. Mm-hmm. Don't get the Tangerine Dream score. We don't. It's quiet. Know. It's just quiet, and it's so tense mm-hmm. because we've had that score pretty much throughout the whole movie, and for what we thought was the climax at the time, being the bank heist, and then it gets to that, and it's just quiet, mm-hmm. and he's just walking around, <laughs> and it's, it's so well done. It's really unsettling. It's very unsettling because, uh, and first time watch, you don't know how it's going to go down. Like mm-hmm. it could go either way. You you, you know that Tuesday. Well's character has gotten away, Jesse. So you think, oh, maybe everyone dies here. Mm-hmm. Maybe Frank dies. Maybe Leo dies. But I didn't think it would be, I guess, the happy ending that it kind of is. It's <sighs> it's a bittersweet ending. I don't think I would call this a happy ending at all. Would you not? No. Oh, we're very different. <laughs> 
this is this is not his walking off into the sunset moment. Well, it's a nihilist movie, isn't it? Like you mentioned earlier, yeah. It's it, I think it's him. it's very fitting with a film noir ending. Yeah, but I think it's him realizing who he is, as we've touched on before, yeah. and him. He's not walk, literally walking off into the sunset, but he, he kind of is. Like, it's dark, so there's no sunset. <laughs> but he, the last shot is him just walking away and it's shot through the trees. I guess. I don't really know what he's walking towards, though. That's I don't think he so does. It's so ambiguous. Um, but I, I love that. Mm. I love that. I don't want everything tied up in a bow. It's the wrong sort of film. That would have felt forced no, but and it, alien. It feels complete to me, though. Like yeah. He's, oh, yeah, he's going yeah. back to how he was before. Like I said, I yeah. feel like his character arc in this movie is realising that he was correct in the beginning. And I don't see that. When, though, I, say, when I say it ambiguous, all I mean is... I mean, it is a complete story. I just mean nobody really knows what is in store for him. Where we go from here, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I did read that Michael Mann and James Kahn had very different views mm. on where Frank ended up. Mm. Michael Mann had a very, very pessimistic view and thought, you know, he's either going to go back to a life of crime or end up dead, whatever. Yeah. Um, James Kahn was just like, no, no, no. He's so determined. He's so single-minded. He lives. He gets back. He, you mm. know, he recovers some of his former life yeah. at the very least. Okay. So they they had opposing views. Right. Which I find interesting. Yeah. But I mean, that's what's great about it. It is so open to interpretation. Yeah. Even to the people involved. Yeah, no, you know? I like those. I like those movies. Uh, but I think the key is that you get enough information that you could go either way with with how you think things are ending. Yeah. Um, like the the guard is a good example of that. When we spoke about that in the yeah. last season, like that, that's an ambiguous ending. And I think, and that's another example where director and star had different ideas about what the ending meant and what was came next for that character. Obviously, it's not it's not going to happen now. Because James Kahn obviously is is gone. Yeah. But I would have killed to watch a sequel to this movie. Oh, gosh, yeah. By James Kahn, uh, starring obviously James Kahn and mm -hmm. Michael Mann. And just, I think it's one of those where it'd be super interesting because it would be, you could make it 30 years after him. Yeah. And where is Frank now? Mm -hmm. But that would have been something I really would have loved to have seen. Yeah, me too. I was going to actually mention earlier, like this is just over two hours and it is the breeziest yeah. two hours it feels, I could have watched a third hour of this quite happily. It feels really tight. It feels yeah. really lean. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting because there's a period of about an hour in the movie where there's not a lot of action. It's a lot of talking. Yep. But I think with the score and the interesting scenes and, and the, the way lines are delivered, yeah, it's, it just keeps you super engaged. Yeah, it, it elevates the whole thing. Yeah, and then, it, like I said, it gets to the last 40 minutes of the film and then that breezes by as well and it's mm -hmm. finished and all of a sudden you're putting it on again. Yeah. Great. <laughs> what yeah. a movie. So, to sum up, we both really, 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 really dig Thief. <laughs> yes, and it's funny because the first time I watched it, I was I was really excited to sit down and watch it because it was a Michael Mann film that I hadn't seen. I like cr criminal movies and mm -hmm. movies with heists and that sort of thing. And so when I first watched it, I wouldn't say I was underwhelmed, but I was I was a little bit I probably similar to what I was saying before, like I was quite a simple movie. Yeah. But the second watch it really stuck for me. I I remember when yeah. we watched it for the first time and I remember being surprised that I got more out of it than you did. I thought it was I was really, so sold on first watch. I thought it was really good. Mm. But I don't know, it might have been an expectation thing. I don't know what was going on. Maybe, maybe, yeah. I had practically zero expectations. Yeah. So yeah, that could have played a part. 
But I, I think this is quite, I don't know if this is my second or third favourite Michael Mann movie now. <laughs> I think it might be my first. I was going to ask you what, what it would be for you. I assume this, this is, would be This would is be above heat first. for me. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Heat will always be my favourite, I think. Yeah, that's fair. But I think um, I think most people consider that to be the better film. But honestly, I'd probably put Thief on. I'll probably watch Thief more than I'll watch Heat because of yeah. the length of the movie. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot breezier. Yeah. Um, and Ali, I do love Ali as well, but that is difficult. That's a, that's That takes real work to sit down and watch okay. that movie from start to finish. But it's it's worth it, in my opinion. Maybe we'll get round to it one day. Maybe. We'll go down Maybe. another Michael Manhole. Because yeah. we were we were talking about when we were doing a lineup for this season, we we had heat on the shortlist. Didn't we, we did, yeah, but we, we opted for this instead. We, and I think I think it was the right move. I have more to say about Thief than I do about Heat. I've got a couple of bits of trivia before we completely wrap up. Okay. Did you know the original title was supposed to be Violent Streets? No, I I'm not. really really glad they didn't go with that. Yeah, it's not great, is it? Thief is really short and punchy. I enjoy yeah. that a lot. Tangerine Dream came on kind of further into the project because Michael Mann initially wanted there to be quite a bluesy soundtrack. Right. Yeah, more noir, I guess. Yeah, more traditional yeah. noir. But I think the synth really is something that elevates this film. Yeah. Yeah. And um, did you know that they were nominated for a Razzie for worst score for this movie? Get out. Mm. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. What? What it's were they crazy, up against? Uh, Holy shit! I don't know. I don't know what it would have been up against in in 1981. Were there any movies 82? that came out in 81 that were just fart noises? Because <laughs> like, what the fuck? Oh, man sits on whoopee cushion. <laughs> I don't know. It's but it, excellent. It blew my mind as well. Yeah, it's it's one of the great scores. Like I've got it on rotation. It's in my my film score playlist now on Spotify. It's yeah, it's great. Um, I would say my. Like, if I had one complaint about the score, it's that it's perhaps a little bit repetitive. Mm. But that's it. That's okay. if I'm having, that's like me trying to find something that is less than stellar. Yeah. Um, and the last bit of trivia is obviously, this was based on a book. The author was himself a criminal. Right. And was in prison during the production of the okay. film. Right. <laughs> okay. So just telephone calls then. I guess so. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Do you want to know what else, before we sign off, mm -hmm. what else James Kahn turned down? I do, yeah. Okay. So he was offered the role, we spoke about Gene Hackman earlier, mm -hmm. he was offered a role of Popeye, Popeye Doyle in The French Connection. Okay. 1971. I could see that. Yeah. Turned it down. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Hmm. What, in the Jack Nicholson role? Is, is he called R.P. McMurphy? Oh, I don't remember. Neither do I, but let's say yes. <laughs> okay. Um, turned it down. Huh. He turned down Roy Neary in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, yeah, I'm glad they went with Dreyfus. Is that the Dreyfus character? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Han Solo in Star Wars, which we spoke yeah, about. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> no, neither do I. But these are big roles. Yeah. Man. Yeah. James Caan turned down Superman. Really? They offered him... And I don't, I don't get that casting. No. Glad, super glad they went with Christopher Reeve. I'm glad he... James Caan turned it down and it was still available for Christopher Reeve. Wow. Okay. Um, and he was offered the role of Captain Willard in Apocalypse Now, huh. but he turned it down. Obviously, he had already been in The Godfather with Francis Ford Coppola directing. Yeah. So when Coppola was doing Apocalypse Now, he got in a blower to Khan was like, do you want to do this role? And James Caan was like, how long have I got to be in a jungle? No, thanks. 
Wow. And I bet he, I, I bet he's so glad that he made that decision because maybe they should. Was scheduled. that the Martin Sheen role? Yeah. Okay. But that was that's like they were meant to be shooting for like three or four months or something in the jungle and turned into like a year. Holy shit! So he he made the right move there. But then he found he fell um, he kind of had a bit of a break and and didn't really do much acting for a few years I think in the eighties okay and I think misery was very much his comeback he'd right. been away from the limelight for a while you know got addicted to cocaine and had oh, some stuff it was the eighties and yeah and he's an actor so <laughs> I'd be more surprised if he hadn't been yeah. So that was very much his con- uh, comeback, and he wanted to do that role. Okay. And he was quite glad that he got to do it. And he is, that is his other, I think this and Misery are probably his two best performances. Yeah. And he's so different in Misery. Yeah. He's, he's like, I was thinking about this the other day. I, I really enjoy him as Frank, and he's very good as the, the tough character, but he's so different in Misery. He's still kind of quite rugged or whatever. Yeah. But he's laying down for the whole movie he's got no agency whatsoever and it's just it's a super interesting choice for him he was one of the greats man he was one of the greats yeah absolutely yeah next week Mm, next week can you remember what we're doing um no okay (laughs) so next week sticking with the criminals theme we're going to be covering american animals oh yeah i've been keen to rewatch this evan peters hmm Barry Keoghan yes. is in it as well. I don't think I knew Barry Keoghan when I first saw this movie, so I'm interested to go back and watch it, watch okay. it with him in. Now I've seen, obviously, things like Banshees and Sharon and Eternals and things like that. I'm super interested to see what he brings to that He's movie. got hella range. He's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can stay up to date with us on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok at sth underscore pod or support us on Patreon. Everything will be linked in the description.